All right, everyone. This is Making Movies is Hard, where we talk about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain, and with me, as always, is Ulrich Bursell. What's up, everybody? So, in case you're just joining us, we're two independent filmmakers from the Bay Area, and every week we're going to talk about our film making experience and uh, we pick a topic every week and this week's topic is about finding a balance between work and creativity but before we dive into that what's going on with you what what happened in the last week well fill um, us in yeah so I'm uh, still working on this feature as a script supervisor right as a script supervisor clarif- qualifier yeah i'm not directing or <laughs> writing or producing yeah it. it always sounds so much cooler when you say i'm still working on this feature it's like oh, i i listened back to the the episode that aired this week and you're like yeah so uh, i'm working on a feature now and it sounded so awesome until you said as a script supervisor it, but that's the that's the beauty of working on a feature is you can just say that and then you just sound like a badass. You know? It sounds so cool. Yeah. I used to do that when I was a PA. I'd be like, yeah, working on this feature, you know, <laughs> just going to work on this feature as a production assistant. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's great. I'm not just getting coffee, but um, that's my main job. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, it's fun. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of things going on. I just, uh, I don't know if it's official to announce it, but I, I mean, I can't really say much about it, but I'm directing a pitch video for a horror web series, which is going to be a lot of fun. That's cool. How did that come about? Um, yeah. So actually a woman who, uh, backed strange thing. Yeah. Her reward was, um, filmmaking lessons. And then we just could never connect. And by the time we did connect, she was actually producing her, her own feature film. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't know what lessons I can teach you. I think Wait, you need to teach me. Wait, for a second. Me. How much does somebody have to give in order to get this filmmaking lesson reward? Oh, she was one of my biggest donors She or backers. She gave like 500 bucks or something. Um, awesome. So, how did yeah. she find out about it? About do, you? do you know her before? I actually, I don't know. I think she was just, she does a lot of crowdfunding herself so she must have just saw it seen it on kickstarter we've been we've been trying to like have lunch for like eight months it feels like and then she'd been mentioning this writer she wanted me to meet i was like okay cool it's oakland writer all right and then i thought we were just going to lunch together and then we actually went to lunch with the writer and it was this wonderful woman and she has this amazing idea for a web series so um so we're just gonna do half or so of the first episode for the pitch video. The pitch video is for raising money on yeah, Kickstarter. Exactly. Like we have a very tiny amount, like I wouldn't even I don't even know what it is, but it's some sort of amount to get the pitch video made. And then we're gonna hope to get another amount. I don't even know what that is actually <laughs> per episode. <laughs> so yeah. I'm I'm not exactly sure of plans, but um it's exciting nonetheless, you know, and uh, just the opportunity opportunity to direct anything especially something that's horror related is uh pretty cool you know yeah that's great have yeah. you read the script yeah 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 i've read the i've read a bunch of the the scripts for the episodes although i mean my commitment isn't even anything further than just the pitch video so we're gonna see uh, how it goes is the pitch video any any sort of way related to like a pilot are you actually shooting part of a show yeah we're shooting half of the talking? first episode basically oh okay cool roughly so it's kind of you should sell it as i'm shooting a pilot 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I sh- but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess we we haven't really discussed exactly what we're going to shoot of it. I think I know what parts of it we are going to shoot, but we haven't really had that full discussion yet. That's great. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. What's going on with you, man? Uh, I haven't really thought about how to tell the story too much, but I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, I have a few partners working with me on Spirit Machine with visual effects Maybe the way, best way to kind of lay the ground for what's happened in the last week is just to say, I shot the movie in 2012 and I thought it was going to take me a year to finish it between editorial and visual effects and sound design and music and all that. I'm still working on it. It's 2015. It's been almost <laughs> three years. <laughs> wow. And a lot of that has to do with how many visual effects shots are in the movie. I think there's something like 150 shots, which is stupid of me. Um, so originally I had one company doing all the shots about a year and a half ago. They came to me and said, this is way too many shots. We need to do, we, we need to give some of these shots to someone else. And I said, well, I don't have anyone else because you guys said you could do everything. Um, but they were very adamant. So I went out and I found another partner. I put a, put some of my own money into hiring a company in India and they took on shots last February and thought they would be done by April. And now it's a year later and they're still not done and they're, they're working on revisions. So, so I feel like nothing's really happening. It's like every single time I ask about these shots, it's just kind of the same story. So it gets wow. really frustrating and it's pretty stressful for me because I have all these people that backed my movie and have been asking to see it. And on pretty much everyone's expectation was that the movie was going to be done within a year. So now I'm like two years past that. And I can tell people have just kind of lost interest. But the people that are still that that's, I'm still on their radar ask me all the time, when's the movie going to be done? When the, when's the movie going to be done? And I don't know. I don't know when it's going to be done. I'm at the mercy of these people that are doing visual effect shots for me. And I have no idea when they're going to be done. So I, I can't answer that question. But in editing, did you were there any that were gonna be in that you just cut because they didn't fit in the story or like it oh, slowed yeah. the edit oh, yeah. down? Okay, mm-hmm. that's my question. Yeah, yeah there should actually <clears throat> what was from what was scripted, there probably should have been more. Okay, yeah, because yeah. that happened to me a bunch uh, in Strange Thing and then also in um, Brother. Like I would be editing. Or shaving visual effects shots here and there just to to make my guy's life easier and make my budget stay within my budget. Because what we we figured out, which is what you always figure out, is that it's more shots than you thought it was and that they're harder <laughs> to do than you thought they were going to be hard to do. But it takes time. Yeah, each yeah. shot, even if it's just 10 frames, especially if it's stuff that you're modeling and lighting, like full CG things, Yeah, you have to do all the groundwork to make that model before you even can like start compositing it and then compositing it takes time so for strange thing did uh yeah this one guy that was working on your visual effects did he deliver them on time oh absolutely not i mean how much longer how long did he say it was going to take and how much longer did it take so he started probably on some of the elements like right after we shot like i think i gave them to him in in november december he had the whole project and 
Oh, you know what? It didn't really take him that long. I, I really, I should be nicer oh, to him great. about this it. This is not helping me feel any better. <laughs> well, I want you to say, he said he would, it would take two months and it took a year. That's what I want you to say. It basically was that. Though. I think, I think we thought we were going to be done in June and then we were done in October. Um, yeah. So, I mean. That's not too long of a wait. No, I mean, it, and th- the fact that he was doing it all by himself and that he wouldn't let me pay him at all. And he was just. He did an amazing job. Everyone compliments that movie on its visual effects, you know, and, and like now it's not that my other guy isn't amazing. He totally is. It's just like I, I was totally spoiled on the front end with somebody who was like wouldn't let me pay them and then was like super passionate about the project. And I mean, this guy is really passionate about it, too. Um, but, you know, it's like I have to pay him. It's the only the only the right thing to do. He's already put I think he put like 20 hours into one shot because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was just so hard to do. And it looks great. It's just like, man, like this is crazy. It's like, I don't know. I just wish I knew visual effects. I knew I wish I had the skills that my my friend who did strange thing does, did, you know, so I could like that's the thing. It's like I, it. I, I recently connected with a guy on Twitter that I, he has a visual effects background, but he also directs. And I'm so envious that he can sit down and he can do stuff himself because I would be doing it myself if I could. I would definitely go take all those shots and be like, dude, you're taking too long. I'm just going to do it. But I can't. I don't have those skills. And sometimes I think people with a visual effects eye tend to direct just thinking about the visual effects and because I'm not a visual effects guy I'm hoping that helps me kind of just look at the story and look at performances and stuff but it is frustrating on the independent level that I'm relying on people that have like regular jobs and I have to wait for them to do stuff for me I think the best position I can be in as a filmmaker is that I can do it myself if somebody else can't it's like you have to be able to pick up the slack and this is one of those situations that I've learned on Spirit Machine across the board is that I made it so big and so unwieldy that it turned into a project I can't do things myself there's so many aspects of it that I can't do myself and it's become more like a Hollywood production in that sense and that I'm relying on so many other people and it's it's hard it's really really hard but yeah I mean you do have to give control over you know at some point there's only so much like like you you have to rely on the creativity and and vision of someone else seeing your vision like like you have to explain your vision to somebody and then they have to be able to like help you achieve your vision yeah. with their own I think vision when when you get to this level where you are starting to give jobs out to other people then it becomes so much about communication and also yeah. creative direction. So you communicate what you're looking for, they come back with something and then you have to direct them from there to get it to the place that you want it to be. And the unfortunate thing is, is because people are working for free, I feel like I can only get it so far. So to be perfectly honest, a lot of the visual effects shots in Spirit Machine aren't what I want them to be. But I also know I have so many shots. So I'm now just saying, let's just get the shots in a place where they tell the story and they're not distracting. But I wish they were better. Mm. Yeah. So I think learning experience on this whole thing for anybody listening that that's kind of dealing with the same thing is like, this is just kind of, this is par for the course. This is what's going to happen when you try to do a big project for a little amount of money. 
Spirit Machine is probably an easily a million dollar 20 minute movie that I'm doing for a hundred thousand dollars and a hundred thousand sounds like a lot but in context of what it should cost I'm asking for a lot of people to work for pretty much free or very little money and so I have to be patient yeah what's your advice to your younger self like just getting into to Spirit Machine three years ago four years ago or whatever it is um, it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take. So don't promise anybody anything. I wish that I hadn't promised people it would be a year. I wouldn't because I, I, there's nothing that I could have done differently. What The way that I'm going about it is the way I need to go about it. And people have even said, well, why don't you just go find another company? I'm so far down the path, though, with both of these guys that trying to take the shots from them and give them to another company i think will actually take longer than waiting for these guys to finish the shots because they've already done so much creative exploration they're already so deep into it that now it's just a matter of me waiting for them to find the time to to make it happen like what would have made the your visual effects shots gotten done in a year i think the only way that i could have guaranteed that it would have happened within a year is to have more money because Mm. The reality of what I did is I hired people that have full-time jobs. Mm. You know, they're working companies. It's not just like a guy that wants to be a visual effects artist. Like these are people that are working on commercials and movies that I said, will you do my movie? And they said, yeah. So now they're trying to find free time to fit my movie in within their busy schedule. And the only way for me to say, hey, don't work on another project, just work on mine would be to pay them enough money that it would make it worth their time to not work on that other project. Right. And I think the the nature of how of the movie that I made it is dependent on a company that has a bunch of artists working inside of it. So like you were talking about before with visual effects is not just one guy sitting in front of a computer, but it's separated into tasks. Like we have a guy that just designed the models we have a guy that just did the rigging we have a guy that just focused on lighting we have a guy that just did animation and then we have a team of artists that are doing compositing so i need all those people i I couldn't rely on just like a few individuals that were really smart and could do all that stuff it's really a big enough project that i have to dole it out as if it was like a real visual effects like kind of quote-unquote hollywood production yeah, it's really interesting because I talked to this filmmaker who did a wonderful movie called uh, The Flesh Computer, which is on Vimeo, has a lot of hits, it did really well, um, played at a lot of film festivals, at big film festivals. He, I was talking to him about it and he was saying that what he did is he had a visual effects supervisor in LA and then I think they farmed their shots out online to a bunch of different um, solo artists across the country. So then like... They would just be like, okay, well, here, you're going to work on this shot and you're going to work on this shot and you're going to do this part of this shot. And so they had like a whole bunch of people who had wor- working on it like all over just digitally remotely. And oh, then that's, smart. Yeah. that's how they did it, I think, or part, at least partially. I think Kung Fury, do you know about this, this yeah, short film? Uh-huh. I think they did something similar where they like were brought a bunch of people on from different parts of the world to, to do parts of shots too, just because they had so many shots and so many things going on in that movie. So pretty much what you're saying is that I wasn't smart enough. No, I'm just, I'm just exploring the options because I think this is a real <laughs> issue. Unless you have a lot of money, like what do you, what are you going to do yeah. if you want to do movies no, with I'm, visual I'm, effects? I'm joking. I'm taking it a little personally, but no, you're right. I mean, there's probably better ways to go about it. 
the reason I did it the way I did is because that's the contacts I had. And I'm, you know, in the commercial world, these are the people that I knew that I could just be like, Hey, can you do me a favor? But I think that that, that sounds like a smart way to reach out to a bunch of different people and have them work on individual shots. I do. I can say from even just working with two different companies that it is hard to keep things consistent from shot to shot to shot. If you have different artists on it, that's been one of the battles that I've had with this guy in India is he, he has been using um, a lot of his friends and uh, I don't think that they all work together all the time. So their shots do feel different. I've had to kind of help them figure out how to make it look the same from shot to shot to shot so it doesn't feel like a bunch of different people worked on it so i can't imagine what it must be like if you have like a hundred different people working on it yeah and they're not all uh used to working with each other and don't have all the same sensibilities and then i but i but i think you what it takes is is a lot of time managing those people you know like just constant emails constant back and forth and it probably takes more of um you know, a technical visual effects brain and mind to do that. So like you probably, or I probably couldn't do that ourselves. Like we couldn't manage individual artists. Like we would need somebody who was a visual effects artist person to manage, you know, 20, 30 people or whatever it is and be willing to do that, you know, which again is the big problem. Yeah. So let's, let's move on to the topic of the week then. Um, creative work life balance. This is a constant issue for me. Um, do you want to talk about how you deal with this and sort of what your, your world looks like? Um, so I work at an advertising agency as a commercial producer. And so I'm fitting in all the filmmaking stuff outside of that. So it's kind of like I have this full-time job as a commercial producer, and then I have a part-time job as a filmmaker. And how do I balance those two aspects of it? You're a freelancer, right? Yeah, currently freelancer, yeah. Yeah, so from the outside looking at at Ulrich, I I envy him because it seems like, oh, he has so much free time. He can like he has time to dedicate to his craft and he can block out days and hours to like work on his stuff whereas i feel like i only have a few hours a day either before work or after work that i can fit this time into so i have to be really regimented which actually you know might help me in the long run because i know sometimes i'll take vacation days off and i'll think that i'm going to get so much done and then once i'm at home and i realize i have the whole day free i don't do anything so i'm like oh well I don't need to get started right away. I can sit down and like, you know, really enjoy my coffee. And then after my coffee, it's like, you know what? I, I need to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a walk and then I go for a walk and nothing ever gets done. So there's a, a quote, like, if you need something done, give it to a busy person. Oh, I think I have heard that. Yeah. That's kind of like how I feel about my job is that I'm so busy. I feel like because I don't have a lot of time, then I'm very efficient with the time that I do have. So uh, I wake up early in the morning, I give myself an hour every day to work on my filmmaking, whether that's writing or creative direction, or um, just like putting something towards it, like sending emails out to people. And then during the day, I find little pockets of time where I'm slow at work. Like if I'm at work and I'm waiting for a posting to come from somebody and I have 15 minutes, then I'll throw some small mundane task in there towards my filmmaking. So because I only have these pockets of time, I'd I'd really take advantage of them. 
and I feel like I get a lot done as, as long as I have a really strict to-do list and I know what needs to happen. And then I just kind of attack it one thing at a time until I get through it. It's uh, it's, it's really hard for me, which is probably not what you're expecting to hear, but uh, you know, cause like when you're a freelancer, you kind of have to say yes to the opportunities that come because you don't have any scheduled work and you don't know where your money's going to come from. Like I'll be writing, like when I was writing, it was really difficult because like you're writing and then you get an email to like do a revision on an edit you're, you had just finished or, oh, we need you to do this thing right away, you know, and it's like you have to stop everything to like do that. And then it's like you'd never really get in the groove. I think it's the same problem. It's like you just need to schedule time for your art and make sure that, you know, the other stuff doesn't completely get in the way of it. And it's it's always going to be a balance that's hard to manage. And I, I wish I was better at it. I wish I had like, um, you know, I wish I did time blocking. I don't know if you're familiar with time blocking. It's like this thing that, um, you know, highly busy, successful business people do where they like they efficiently block out their whole day. So like you wake up at five and then you work answer emails for an hour, let's say from five to six, you answer emails and then you shower, you eat breakfast. And then at seven, you're eating breakfast and then you're doing this task from seven to eight. And then from eight to this time, maybe you're traveling to your office and then so is it, you're, it's like scheduling your day. It's like perfectly scheduling your day. And then if you miss that time within that block that you schedule something, you don't do it. You move on to the next thing. I'm just such a loose person and like I get inspiration just come so like if I said like oh I have to write between whatever time and whatever time it's like I could just sit there for an hour and do nothing you know that's fine though I think you get used to it and that's what I've learned because I've been doing it pretty much ever since I graduated college so it's been like 15 years that I've I've taken on this routine and it, it is tough at first to sit down and um just kind of hope that the inspiration comes but i think if you wait for the inspiration and then and that moment passes then how are you going to get back into it so this is my technique i know every morning i'm going to be writing or doing i I say sorry i say writing all the time that's how i started as is always writing so let's just take writing as an example so i wake up in the morning and i'm writing from seven to eight so before I go to bed that night, I think about what it is that I'm going to do in the morning. So it's like, what is the task that I'm going to give myself, especially if I have several different projects that I'm working on. So I'll think, all right, I should really work on Spirit Machine screenplay. And where was I in that? Okay, I was in act one and I was trying to solve this problem. What is that problem? And I'm thinking about all this stuff before I go to sleep. And usually before I go to sleep, I'll have kind of like a a little flash of an idea. So that way when seven o'clock comes, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to hit it. You know, I do like night shoots. I do day shoots. I have deadlines for edits that could be at any time. So it's just, it's really hard to like manage, um, you know, a routine schedule. And I think for me, like I, I don't really crave a routine of like every day you do this at the same time, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's hard. I, I want to like give myself the hour a day because I really like what you're saying and I really think that's a, attractive, but I, I don't think I could do it every day at the same time. I know I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little crazy. I'm just saying, oh, I know I can't <laughs> just because I haven't done it yet. Um, yeah. I just maybe need, I just need to try harder. 
But, uh, but yeah, I think spending an hour a day, 30 minutes a day writing is like something I really wish I was doing all the time, no matter what I was doing. Yeah. Or even for me at work, I can't always take lunch, but a lot of days I go out for lunch and I, and I make the conscious decision to go out and sit by myself. There's, uh, there's free lunches pretty much every day at work where I can go and watch reels from production companies and get a free lunch. But I go, no, I'd rather go pay for my lunch so I can sit down for even just 20 minutes and write some ideas down. Because again, it goes back to the prep. Is if, if I can prep myself for those pockets of time when I can work and I'm prepared to sit down and do it, then I'm going to be so much more efficient at it. So I'll sit down with a piece of paper and let's say I'm trying to crack this problem that I'm having in act one. Then I'll write down like 10 different ideas that could solve it and then choose one and go, great, I'm going to try that. Next time I sit down to write, I'm going to try this one. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting to hear you say that, that your work gets in your way. Because uh, my perception would be the opposite, that your work would get less in your way than my work. What I've been trying to do and and what I've been doing in the last year or so a little bit more or a lot more is uh, just treating my uh, creative work like it is a job. So Yeah, you have to. Like for me at least, I need to pretend I'm getting paid because... <laughs> it's really it's really hard for me like i'm i'm i think i'm like you know like people talk about addiction like i was listening to somebody talk about addiction on a pot- podcast the other day and i think i'm addicted to making money and it's not necessarily making money yeah like i thought you were gonna say to making films no no i'm not i wish i was more addicted to making films i think i'm addicted to making money like i really like closing deals and and knowing that i'm getting paid to do something like, I just, I think that's why I've always worked a lot is because the idea of getting paid to do something gives me a little bit of that rush. When you get paid, is, that's interesting. It's I really get that, weird. I get that feeling when I complete a task. Okay. So anytime that I do something that's on that to-do list, I feel so good. I think I get a little bit of that for task completion too, but I think it's definitely stronger when I'm making money. You know, that's where it comes, that thing comes in where I'm like sort of pretending that I'm getting paid for my, for my screenwriting and for my filmmaking. And I'm just thinking of it like, I'm not getting paid now, but this is going to get pay off in the future in a big way, you know? So I'm just sort of like tricking my brain into thinking like, okay, when you finish a short film or when you finish writing a draft of the script, like you are getting paid even though you're not actually getting paid right now. You yeah, know? that's really surprising. I did not expect you to say that. It's I'm a weirdo. What can I say, man? I had some No, some that's weird really problems. cool. I mean, that's it's <laughs> awesome to know. I feel like the more you know about what drives you, the the more successful you'll be because you can kind of trick yourself that way that <laughs> you know what the motivation is, what kind of carrot you need to dangle in front of you to keep going. Yeah. I would the, the other thing I want to talk about is like we're talking a lot about the like the paid work versus the the passion work balance. But how about like friends and family? Oh, man, that is hard. <laughs> I, I try to like see them as much as I can. And, and luckily, you know, a lot of the the um, friends I have are also filmmaking friends. So like I get to see them more because, you know, they, they sort of come somewhere between the work and the creative life. And like, I see them because we're working together or I see them because, 
you know, I want to talk to them about an idea I'm doing. So like I see some of my friends in that box, but then I have like these really, really good friends I've had forever who um, sort of play in that world, but they, they really aren't film people and they really, they don't really want to hear about my movie all day long. Like we just want to like kind of bullshit. And so like those guys who I really love, um, I just don't see them very much and it kind of sucks. And so it's like, I'm trying to like, whenever I do make a commitment to see them or if we have a a scheduled plan to hang out, like if I, if something else comes up, I try not to cancel on them. It just can be hard. I mean, what about you? How's it for you? I'm just, as as I'm listening to you talk, I'm trying to think about how I'm going to answer this. And my brain is full with so many different ideas at the same time. Right. I don't even really know how to clearly talk about what, what we're talking about right now. Because it's a little unclear to me how much of it's my personality and how much of it's conscious decisions I've made. But I definitely don't do a lot of the social activities that seem to occupy a lot of other people's time. Yeah. And I thought I was going to come on the podcast and say that I made a conscious decision to, to not do those things. But I think a lot of it just is me. I'm kind of an anti antisocial person. And throughout my life, a lot of the friends that I've had are friends that are almost more like business partners than mm. friends. Like even like you and me where we have this podcast and had we, if we don't have this podcast, we're probably not going to see each other too often. Right. You know, so a lot of my friendships I feel like are built around creative endeavors mm. and then all the superficial stuff like um, work parties or uh, when I'm on production, the usually producers will go out with a creative team for dinner. Like I don't do a lot of that. I like to go back to my hotel room and, and work on my stuff by myself. Um, or even just like having friends to like hang out with. I do a little bit of that on the weekend, but I would say that most of the time I just kind of do a lot of stuff yeah. by myself. But I'm an introvert. I, yeah, so. it's interesting because I'm not really an introvert, but I, I, I live my life similarly to that because, well, it's like what I, I, what I really want to do for stuff, you know, like... Like, I feel terrible sometimes because, like, the crew all went and got drinks the other night. And I went because it's like, I really want to hang out and I love drinks. Who doesn't love to have a drink? You know, it's like my wife's waiting at home and I haven't seen her at all and I need to hang out with her. And then I just got an email with a new sound, like, music for my short film. It's like, I really want to go home and listen to that and give notes. And it's like, (laughs) ah, I mean, I have to leave the bar early. And like, everyone's like, oh, well, we wish you'd hang out more. And it's like, yeah, me too. But I got so many things to do. And it's like, but I, I don't know. And I was talking to my wife about this the other day. And I was like, you know, am I like a loser for like being the guy who like leaves the bar early and doesn't party with everyone else and doesn't have like drinks and whatever. And she was like, oh, I hope you don't feel that way. Cause I'm so glad to see you. And I'm so glad you're here. And Oh, you, you know, Oh, I hope you don't have those feelings. And it's like, well, I, but I do kind of have those feelings. Like I kind of wish I was more of the party animal I used to be in college and more of the social kind of person I used to be, but it just, it can becomes really hard for me sometimes, you know? Yeah, me too. I, I have, I had had almost the same conversation with my wife about a month ago after I went on um, a department retreat and then when we got back into the city, my whole department wanted to keep hanging out. But in my head, I was like, no, we we went during the day, during the work day. It's five o'clock. I'm going home. But everyone else wanted to go party. And I just, 
escape. I did an Irish goodbye. Just walked away. <laughs> yeah, my wife's perfect. Great at those. Um, she loves the Irish goodbye. I can't do that. <laughs> and I got home. I got home and I was like, I had the same conversation. Am I a loser? Like, I'm always the first person to leave. Anytime that my department has a party, I'm always the first person to leave. And they call me out on it, too. But it's because I just don't really want to be there. And it's not that I don't like these people, but there's other things that I'd rather do. And I I have to pick and choose. I can't be everywhere at the same time. And I I do follow my gut. Her answer to me was, don't worry about it. Yeah. When I said, am I a loser? Don't worry about it. Yeah. I think that's good (laughs) advice. I think you just need to do... Like you need to do what you want to do. And, you know, it's like, I think if what, I don't know, it's just a really hard thing to answer, but I'm really, it makes me feel good to hear your, your response because it sounds very similar to like the way I am and what I'm dealing with in my situation. Yeah. It's hard not to feel guilty about it though, or feel like you're a complete loser. And that seems like everyone else is having so much fun and you're like, there's gotta be people out there that can balance it all. I can't, I personally can't. And I, I'm not sure I'm okay with that, but I'm just going to live with that. I heard an interview with Terry Gross on the uh, WTF mm. podcast. And uh, he asked her, like, what do you like to do for fun? And she was just kind of like, I don't really do anything for fun. Like, I just work. I just wow. always work. And I I really liked hearing that because I, I really respect her. I think she does a really, she's really good at what she does. And to hear her say, like, that she doesn't, do a lot of things for fun and that she just really enjoys working and spending time with her husband and watching a movie is kind of the extent of what she does. And he's like, well, what about your friends? And she's like, I have friends, but I don't see them too often because I'm always working. It's like, thank God, kindred soul. <laughs> Somebody else is out there. And it's like, and she does a really good job. And if I can be like her, I would be really proud yeah. too. So gave me some That's comfort. Nice. Yeah. I think for me, it's like trying to find the balance. Like you want to be dedicated to your craft and you want to, you know, make sure that you're still the artist that you want to be, but you also need to be the good husband or, or wife. And you also have to be the good, you know, uh, f- you know, son or daughter or whatever, or brother or sister or whatever. And then you also have to be the good friend and you have to be the good coworker. It's like, Oh my God, like so many Uh, things. Too much pressure. Too much. I'm just going to focus on being a good filmmaker and that should make up for all my other faults. Maybe. But let me ask you this. Does, do you think that part of our guilt for like leaving early at a party or not wanting to hang out with friends and do something else comes from, wanting to be liked yeah i don't know maybe i mean yeah i'm not sure are you worried about what other people think about you because i i'm thinking about that's like why are we saying like uh or, or asking the questions are we losers for leaving a party early who cares if we left a party early we went to the party we did what we wanted to do so are we concerned with what other people think about us or are we really concerned about something interesting? You no, know, I think, you know, this is going to be an interesting answer, but I think a few years ago, it was more what other people thought of me. And now um, it's my own, it's my own internal guilt. In- yeah, insecurity, insecurity about yeah. who you become. And, but then, hey, Ulrich, remember when you used I to know, be cool, I'm man? I'm not cool anymore. Remember when you used to go out? <laughs> But but then, I mean, to be completely honest, and it's kind of hard to admit, but it, it is also a little bit of what other people think of me, too. It's like, that's also part of it, you know, which makes me sound completely insecure. But, you know, I don't I don't want people to think I'm a complete shut in, 
or whatever, you know, or like that I don't. And, Why but, not? Who but cares? I mean, and Who and cares? the truth is, I do have fun when I'm at the bar, and I do have fun when I hang out with my friends, and I want to hang out with my friends. I want to go to the bar, but I also want to be a filmmaker, and I also want to make sure that I'm that I'm having um, plenty of time to hang out with my wife. You know, it's just balancing all those things. It's just so freaking hard. You know. Well, let's wrap it up. We're gonna. Um, here's my final thought. So. Unless you're independently wealthy, you're going to have to figure out some way to pay the bills. So this is going to be an issue that everybody has to deal with, like balancing the creative side with the work side. And then also, if you want to put in a bunch of time into your filmmaking, you're going to have to figure out how to balance the time with your friends and your family and your loved ones. So it's something that you're going to have to figure out for yourself. I think you need to be careful not to become too much of a shut in um, and also not forego the work that you need to do by always having fun like yeah. if you want to do this as a job there's no way you can just apply to be a filmmaker there's not like a craigslist ad that you can apply for there's not a company that just hires filmmakers so you have to create opportunities for yourself and if you want to make a career out of this you have to work hard and that's going to mean sacrificing some stuff and uh and and in order to keep getting better and and get good enough until somebody wants to pay you yeah. And I think also like, you know, your true friends and your family, they should understand that sacrifice, you know, like they, they'll understand if you can't be at every event or you can't see them as much because this is what you have to do in order to achieve your dreams, you know? And I think I'm lucky to have, uh, you know, friends and family who do feel that way and are willing to, to let me do what I need to do to, to be the artist I want to be. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You surround yourself with people that understand what you really want. Because if you have people that are naysayers or don't believe in you, it's going to make it really hard. And I definitely have those people in my life, and it makes it so much easier when you're putting all your time and energy into it, and you know you're failing in other places when somebody is they're watching you going like i can see you're really working hard and i want you to keep doing it don't worry about everything else yeah if you know without that support i don't think i would do any i've done any of the projects that i've done in the last few years so no yeah it's super super important well do you have anything that you learned this week that you'd like to share oh i don't know what did i learn i learned that um i don't know just follow through with with what you say you're gonna do if, if you say you're going to do something, whether it's like be on time for a call time or writing an email or responding to somebody who asked you a question, it's like, just do what you say you're going to do, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> that's, that's okay. something I'm trying to do. And I'm, I'm sort of, I think I'm sort of succeeding, but you know, it's hard. All right. Cool. What about you? Do you got anything? Yeah, but I don't really like this section, so I'm going to skip it. Ah, fine. I mean... It just feels like... It it always feels like it's a a departure from what we're talking about. Unless it ties in to something that happened, that's something that we talked about earlier. I just... I have something written here, but it it just feels like it's a... Right. uh, What do you call that? A tangent. Yeah, but I mean, I I don't know. Like, you're always concerned of us coming off as like, you know, these arrogant, <laughs> no. know-it-all jerks, but, you no, know. No, no, no. Did you notice I rephrased the question? Did you learn anything this week you'd like oh. to share? Okay. That's what. That's the new question. Right, right. Well, I, I want to know if you've sense. learned anything. What did, come on, just... Well, I was going to talk about... We didn't talk about this earlier in the show, but 
I had some people reach back out to me that I haven't heard from in two years. And mm. so what I learned is like, you, you never know where opportunities are going to come from. You know, you keep the communication lines open because somebody that you might not have talked to in a while, here you go. This connects to your story. So you have this person that backed you on Kickstarter and then uh, all of a sudden, a few years later, they come to you and they say, would you like to direct this uh, pitch video? So you never know where opportunities are, are going to come from. So make sure that you keep those lines of communication open. So that way, uh, I don't know how to say it. Uh, don't burn, it, burn any bridges, yo. <laughs> it's not even that you don't, don't burn any bridges, but just kind of be open to things. Like, right. Here's my example is these writers contacted me through my website a few years ago with a screenplay they had. They asked if I'd like to produce it. I explained to them that I'm not that kind of producer. I didn't have any money, but I was very nice to them. I helped them with their screenplay and they came back to me. Two years later, they, they put the screenplay out into the world. They have a producer attached to it. It sounds like they might have some access to funding and they're wondering if I'd like to direct it. So it's just crazy. I never expected that they would come back. I never expected anything would ever happen with the scre screenplay. Um, but I'm glad that I took the time out when they did reach out to me to help them out and to feel now that they really appreciated that and they never forgot it. Mm. So that's cool. Awesome. Very cool. All um, right. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Sign us off, man. Thanks everyone for listening. Help other people find us by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you find our podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at MMIH podcast, or you can follow me at Timothy plain. And you can follow me at Ulrich B on Twitter. Um, also on Facebook. And uh, my website is BurcellProductions.com. <laughs> you at the plug. I got to plug something. All right, everyone. <laughs> Enjoy the week. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye-bye.